Hey, feisty friends, welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, where each week we deliver trusted information for women who want to get the best from their bodies throughout their lives. Learn to feel and perform your best through our four pillars of performance, physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, and this is a Feisty Media production. Hey, Feisties. Welcome to episode 10 of the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I can't believe we're on episode 10 already. It is flying by. Um, So thank you so much for listening and for being here through our first 10 episodes. Uh, Coming up soon, I'm going to do some feedback, both internally with my team about what we're doing right on the podcast and what we can improve. And I would love to hear from you too about what you Um, what you think we could do better or who you would like, especially who you would like to hear from in this area or topics you would like us to discuss in this area of like women's specific performance or how women can thrive better. If you know people doing work in and taking a women's specific lens to anything from, you know, sports performance, like we often talk about, but even like longevity, lifestyle, nutrition, just let me know because I would really love to interview the amazing people from your world as well. I also have good news this week. My Apre Delight CBD intimacy oil finally arrived and it's so fun. The packaging was amazing. It comes with a a little guide book called Good Love and Field Guide, Down and Dirty Guide to Great Outdoor Sex. So I was fairly, I love like good packaging, you know, and it had little stickers in there. It was great. Um, so I will try it out and let you know in an appropriate way. <laughs> and if anyone wants to try definitely, um, you 20% off, off is a great discount. So head over to their website and use our code performance. I am so stoked about our interview today. Okay. This was a really fun conversation that I had a couple weeks ago with Emily Krauss and Megan Roche from the Stanford Female Athlete Science and Transitional Research Program. So that is the FASTER program um, out of Stanford University, and it's all about informing and empowering female athletes of all levels and backgrounds. So some of us, this like the launch of this program kind of rippled through my world in various ways. It turns out um, a few people that I know, know Emily or Megan, um, and definitely even just the fact that Stanford was creating a program to focus on research around female athletes and to actually turn that research into something that the everyday active woman can use is incredible. So I know like, yeah, many of the people around me were super excited about it. And I'm thrilled to have these two with me today and for this interview. Um, Emily, so Emily Krauss, she's the uh, FASTER program director, and she's a clinical assistant professor at Stanford Children's Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. And she specializes in physical medicine and rehabilitation sports medicine. She's also a seven-time marathoner and two-time Boston finisher. And her colleague, Megan, is the FASTER lead researcher and is an MD and a PhD candidate in epidemiology. And if becoming a medical doctor and a PhD uh, was not as if it was not enough, (laughs) Megan is also a five-time national trail running champion. She wrote a book called The Happy Runner, and she is a coach and she has a podcast. So I I really should have asked her how she does it all. (laughs) But... um, We do talk about the work they are doing with FASTER 
and why people are so hungry for good information that actually applies to us as women. Um, we talked about like the actual size of the gender data gap in sports science research and what they are doing to translate the research so the average active woman can benefit as well. We also talked about their individual training and, and had a couple good laughs and um, I pushed them a little bit on their <laughs> to, to brainstorm for the future of what they envision for faster. So it's super fun conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Emily. Hi, Megan. Welcome. Thank you so much. We're pumped to be on here. And I was just thinking about this. Feisty media is the coolest sounding concept. I love the term feisty and I feel like it just perfectly encapsulates what you're all are doing. So really excited to be on here today. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm so glad it resonates because occasionally we get someone who like has a negative association with the word feisty, which is like p- part of the intent too of that word is like to sort of reclaim that like, yeah, we're feisty and we like it, you know? Um, so I'm always glad yeah. to hear that feedback that it's resonating. And we like the F because it's like faster, feisty. It just like, it has a nice association to it. <laughs> yeah. And I like that like we can kind of with a name like Feisty and with what we're about, we can kind of say the things that sometimes more professional organizations can't, or we can like, you know, just talk, like talk really, really openly about experiences and stuff. Um, but we're not here to talk about Feisty. Um, <laughs> what I'm wondering first is from each of you, like what are the personal experiences that have shaped your interest in female athlete performance? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, well, first of all, I think um, it's nice to give a little history of how Megan and I met, which is which is fun to share. And I think um, it's it's just a great starting point to our like story of, of our journey and research together. Mm-hmm. And and so I was in I was in residency at the time, residency or fellowship, probably like somewhere in between that that time about eight or nine years ago. I'm adding like a year, Megan, just because I feel like it keeps saying seven years, eight years <laughs> each time, and it's been a couple years. Um, eight or nine years ago. And Megan was a med student and I was running this free clinic and she was so eager and so interested and passionate about just learning everything about the musculoskeletal system and the physical exam. And we were just starting a research project um, on uh, collegiate athletes at um, Stanford and UCLA and pulled her on board as um, our research intern. And she just crushed it. And ever since then, we've just been working together on that project and future projects but, uh, but it's a great um, dynamic with, with Megan that's kind of led us to continue to work and realize that we work well together. And Actually, Emily, I go through so many scenarios in my head where I'm like, what would happen if I didn't walk into the clinic that day and hadn't met Emily as a mentor? And it's really scary to think about what my life trajectory would be like if I hadn't met Emily and had her mentorship over the years. And so it's been such a gift to have Emily as a mentor, a friend, someone to look up to in the medical world, someone to come and ask questions to. I send her text messages all the time with tons of questions. So um, I just, it's been, I'm so grateful for it. I think we would have found each other though, because I do specifically remember that um, your husband, David, um, who is um, you and you and David, I think were coaching, or maybe just David was coaching at that point. Um, he, we were having a lot of flybys and we were seeing each other on the Strava a lot. And he saw that I was um, basically overtraining <laughs> and was like, you know, I think she may benefit from a coach. And, and so there was this other wonderful harmony and overlap, um, an intersection with, with our, um, 
with our connections that maybe that would have been the way that we we would have um, connected and met and and worked together. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say he used the term fajita uh, to describe Emily's training because it was always sizzling. I feel like actually there could be feisty. It could be another good word for that, but it was massive. Yeah. Feisty fajita. Um, I feel like we could add the extra modifier there, Emily, but um, it was just so great to have like those early relationships and that early connection in science and medicine. Yeah. Sorry. How does training, how does training sizzle? What does that even look like? (laughs) So I need to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was um, something about like, I was, I would always um, over pace. So my pace would always be maybe a little spicier than it should, even like in recovery. And I like, I couldn't contain myself. I was so excited and I was so excited to have a coach and it was really, it was a game changer for, for my training. And Um, I often do encourage athletes to, if they have the resources to explore a different, some type of coaching, just to help them with, with the training plan and make sure in my case that I wasn't training too much or even training too hard um, during those training sessions. So yeah, sometimes there was too much spice. I needed to like take down the spice, right? remove the cayenne. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe add a little sour cream or something. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Tell, tell us a little bit, maybe Megan first, like about your own athletic backgrounds. Yeah. I always loved playing sports growing up. And I think it was for me where I felt like I belonged the most. Like, I think when I played sports, it felt like I was just really connecting with friends, the community. I think sometimes I felt very socially awkward in like the classroom or at birthday parties. And so sports were that like place of strong connection. Um, I grew up playing. I loved all sports, like any and every sport I wanted to play um, where, wherever that was, like even in the neighborhood or out with friends. Um, but ultimately found my way. I went to college to play field hockey um, and really loved getting to train for field hockey, definitely quite different than running, which I'm doing now. Um, so in field hockey spent a lot of time, like learning to weightlift, learning to have that more like explosive power component of sports. Mm-hmm. Actually, I also loved wind sprints too. Um, that person that loves standing on the starting line and doing wind sprints and found my way taking a fifth year, um, and running track at Duke, um, after playing field hockey. And it was a very different shift, like two totally different sport cultures, two totally different sport types. And it was interesting to make that shift as an athlete. And then eventually found my true love on trails. So I love trail and mountain running. I love connecting with the nature, with nature and mountains. And, um, that's been my passion since, since college. She's very good trail runner, like national champion trail trail runner. Okay, I was I was like, can I ask her to brag about herself? But yeah, you're you're a better place, maybe to brag yeah, about. Yeah, that. I'll brag all day about Megan and her all of her many talents, including um, running. Oh, thank you. Also, very talented at falling on my face too, which comes like, <laughs> which comes with the sport of mountain running. So always very humbling too. But it's been fun, and I think it also like it combines a lot of like I loved doing athletic sort of training when I was younger. And it's fun to see the trails kind of mix in that power and speed and some of those like different athletic moves. And it's, it's fun to have that combo. Mm. And Emily, how about you? Yeah. So I grew up um, in a small town in Nebraska. So I feel like we were always active as a family. We were very active. We would play um, all the sports. I told her brother. So I was just doing whatever they were doing. And that was basketball, tennis, um, not a lot of running at that time at, to start, um, golf though. And I remember I was first introduced to running through one of my, um, social studies teachers who was the, the cross country and track and field coach. And he invited me to the um, summer morning runs. 
and they were all on the golf course. So it was this, this running joke that I um, enjoyed running like tees to greens as opposed to playing golf tees to greens. And, and I just really um, picked up that sport, picked up, um, also played other sports um, throughout high school. So I played basketball and tennis as well. And I think that was, um, there was a protective factor with that, which um, was really valuable, I think, moving forward and just during those really pivotal, pivotal times and just building overall bone mineral density, which we can potentially talk about. But then after that, I um, really fell in love with the sport through college and then also in, in med school. Joined a joined a club team, Team Nebraska Brooks. Started to I ran my first marathon um, completely untrained or trained, but through like an online program. And still, I mean, it was a very painful experience. San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. Um, ended up still qualifying for for Boston that year, but it was like you know the like start off at this pace and just slowly decline in the whole the whole second half and just hit a, hit a wall um my first kind of wall experience um which is always always pleasant but it was one that i was still through time um got some more um coaching and um team team involvement and now just now i'm running and cycling and i'm doing all the all the kind of endurance sports in the Bay area. And it's been really fun to explore um, the trails and I love gravel riding. I love mountain biking and um, haven't done a, like a long endurance race for a couple of years. I ran CIM in, um, I guess, 2019, right before the pandemic. I guess that was my last, last big, big run. I'm kind of wondering, was there any moment or a period of time for both of you where you started to realize either as a young person or into your twenties, that there was a gap in opportunity for girls in sport. Cause we're going to talk about the gap in science, I think, but when did that, when did that start to land for each of you? I think for me, it was really in college. So I think at the college level, and there's been a lot of conversations about this recently, I I think back to the NCAA women's basketball tournament, where they showed the discrepancy between the weight room, between the, the male and the female athletes and how frustrating that is as a college athlete, because when you play college athletics, it really, I mean, you put so much time and effort and investment into being a college athlete. And I went to a program like Duke, where there was a ton of financial investment into college athletics. And, you know, we had amazing resources, but I still felt like I was seeing some of those discrepancies between the resources that male athletes and female athletes had. And I think, you know, we're working to reverse that with more and more awareness, but that was when it really like clicked in my brain. Um, And also thinking about like, post-collegiate athletics and thinking about some of the gender gaps in pay and like opportunities in sport post-collegiately. And it was a challenge for me as a college athlete because my existence was so defined by athletics. And it was like, how do I get creative and allow athletics to stay in my life, hopefully for, for, you know, the rest of my life, because I'm so passionate about this. And that really opened my eyes, that, that full experience. Sarah, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever didn't really think about this until now, but in high school, when I was training for um, cross country, I would do all my runs with, with the guys, with the, with the, the boys on that, that team, mm-hmm. because there wasn't as strong or as big of a, a, a women's or girls um, cross country team. And I thought that was just how it was done. I would train with the, train with the guys and they would push me. It was almost this like point of um, pride and, and looking back now, it's like, it's still a problem. I mean, girls staying in sport, girls drop out of sport at a higher rate than, than boys. And 
And now it's, I just, I kind of wish and look back and wish that there was more encouragement to get more girls um, on the cross country team and involved in sports that we did have a team and we could push each other as opposed to trying to um, run with the, the boys team. Yeah. I think the previous system, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I haven't talked much this morning. So <laughs> like the 9am <laughs> recordings throwing me off. Um, I think, I feel like the system that I grew up in kind of, cause I felt the same way. Like I was kind of a run with the boys, eventually drink with the boys <laughs> kind of person, but like the system rewarded those of us who could kind of keep up right without taking into account, like everyone, all the girls and women we were leaving behind and why and why they might be unsupported. So it feels like this, like programs like yours, like that's the thing we're trying to change. Go ahead, Megan. Oh, I was gonna say, that's an incredible point. Actually, I had a similar experience in high school where I did run cross country briefly as a freshman before ultimately deciding that field hockey was more my trajectory. But I actually wound up getting a stress fracture because I was running with the boys team. I was running a lot of miles. I wasn't quite aware of how to treat my body. And looking back, I wish I had you know, more of those like female athletes to train with and to just like share those experiences with. And that was, I mean, I appreciate you bringing up that point there because it's, it's so true about like, you know, the dangers of, of training with, with boys at a young age and not having those conversations, those really open conversations. Yeah. And even having to acknowledge that, like, for those of us that the system suited, right. There was like, sometimes there, there was that point of pride. Like I'm keeping up, you know, it's not necessarily in our interest at the outset or, you know, as a young person, I didn't see it necessarily the way that I do now, which is like, actually the system's just set up to support me better. Like that's all it is. It's not because I'm special, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And there's this like competitiveness about it too. Like there, like, I kind of wanted to stay at Mm -hmm. that level. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of think back at all of the athletes that maybe the female athletes that were on the team that were discouraged and didn't feel like that inclusivity of that, that really the benefits of being part of a team. And, and yeah, Megan, I mean, you're totally right. Even in clinic now, I see athletes who have overuse injuries and I hear more and they're like, I hear more about the mileage that they're doing and the fact that they're training with, with men and, or with boys in their, on their team. And it's, it's hard to be like, well, what about the girls? Like, can you train with other members of your um, girls team? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes that's still not, not, not available. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. Um, okay. Let's talk about faster. Emily, can you unpack for us just unpack the acronym to begin with? Yes. The, the feisty faster acronym um, <laughs> stands for um, female athlete science and translational research. Um, it's about one year old, I guess um, it, it started um, last year around this time, but we really, um, the launch of the Wusai Human Performance Alliance was last summer, and they're um, our main supporters. And so that um, the alliance um, comprises is comprised of six uh, institutions throughout the country who are all um, looking to study health and hu- health and human performance in athletes of all ages. And our female athlete program is really focused on um, understanding and trying to close this gender gap in female athlete health and performance. So, what what are each of your roles? Yes. So um, I I direct the program and Megan is my partner in crime, a wing woman, a research lead, and Megan's getting her PhD in um, epidemiology at Stanford right now. So it's, it fits nicely. I don't know how she's wearing so many hats that I don't know how, how she does it all. And I know that she sleeps and I know that she has some downtime, but I still am like, I think she operates at like a two X level at all times, which uh, is very admirable. Um, But Megan, I knew as soon as I found out about this opportunity, I immediately reached out to Megan and was like, hey, this could be a really good 
um, direction for both of us. Um, it really ties in a lot of our passions, both um, personally, professionally, like for me clinically. And, and it's with, with Stanford and with this Wusai Alliance. So we're getting the support and mm. really getting a foundation and base to dive into both the research and, and a really important part of our program is the translation of the research. And we have a lot of fun doing the research too, which is something like, I think early on in my career, when I thought research, I thought really, and we're doing really rigorous and exciting research, but our priority also too, is to make it fun for our team. Um, we spend a lot of hours doing what we do. And so having the, the full team environment on Slack and having that like uplifting environment really makes the research fun. But I also think too, as we work to translate the research, a big part of that is like using language that female athletes can understand that coaches and parents can understand because I think so often research gets written and it's very complicated and hard to break down and fully allow the, like the general population to access. And so that's our goal too, is using fun language and empowering language. And really it's, I almost feel like I see our team culture, which is fun and feisty and, you know, rigorous in terms of the research we're doing and see that translate into how we communicate it as well, which has been a key focus of what we're doing. Yeah. I've heard that a few times already. So how, how do you plan to translate the research? I mean, you spoke about language, Megan, how do you plan to translate it or how do you get it to the general athlete or active woman? What we've seen is there's often a gap. So in research, in the research world, you'll, you'll do your research, you'll write your manuscript, you'll publish it in a journal. But I think we need to figure out communication strategies that allow the general public to access that. So we've been brainstorming. We have a five-part educational video series coming up that we plan to do research on and then share on Instagram, share on other social media outlets. And so social media is a big source for this um, blog posts, really developing a rigorous website where we have vetted educational content and then working with partners too. So I think there's a lot of exciting companies and partnerships and businesses that are working to promote female athletes and to work with female athletes. Um, so that's been a big part of it. And then using role models in sports. So in our educational video series, we really just want to share stories from athletes who have gone through this because that's a big connection point for people is understanding what athletes have gone through and kind of working with that to share the educational piece right alongside these inspiring stories. Mm, yeah, I agree with that so much. Like that there's, there's the research piece, but then actually like, how do we know what to research if an area has been completely ignored? Right. And I think a lot of that comes from stories. That's why we are just like individuals telling their story and someone else going, Oh, I relate to that too. That happens to me too. You know, do you see that happening um, in your world as well? Yes, I think that the, and Megan, you summarized that really well, as far as our approach with the translation, uh, we really want this to make, we want athletes to feel like they can relate to the content, um, whether it's through inspirational stories from athletes that they can connect with um, through, through sport, through body type, through um, different race, ethnic backgrounds. We really want athletes to feel like um, if you move, if you, if you shake, if you um, get out the door, you're an athlete. Mm -hmm. And, and that could be from the, like the, the top level elite um, sports um, participation, or it just could be getting out and moving every day and, and whatever that looks like. So um, the feedback that we've gotten so far has been really positive. And I think people are, I mean, people are hungry for this knowledge and this information. And sometimes they, they just don't know where to look or they look in the wrong places and get a lot of mixed messages. And um, I think that leads to, especially in the younger athlete population, some, some poor habits and poor training habits, poor fueling habits, and this expectation or 
this misunderstanding that they need, they need to look the part. And, and really it's, I mean, that's so far from the truth. And, and it, I think it does lead to athletes feeling discouraged or wanting to, to drop out or they get injured or burnt out. So um, it's, it's been a like initial kind of very positive response. And we're hoping that um, once we kind of get some of these videos out, we'll get some feedback. And um, part of our pilot study is really testing out these videos and um, determining if they're, if they're feasible, if um, athletes will watch them and watch them to, um, to through the duration of these short five to six minute videos, and then also um, determining changes in um, certain certain metrics like body image, um, female athlete mindset. Um, we're um, trying to create a, a mindset measure and um, self compassion and some other kind of disorder eating um, um, behaviors. Yeah, that's so exciting. I really want to get into some of the specific work. Like we've talked on this podcast too before about how like diet culture, sort of like you just said, Emily, plays such a role in how we think about ourselves too as athletes. Um, but I'm if, if we're trying to get, because for us at Feisty and we have our women's performance summit at the end of the month, like we're always talking about, I guess it won't be the end of the month, but it will be passed by the time this gets released. <laughs> Sorry, audience, <laughs> you can still you can still get the replays. Um, but we're often often trying to say like, how do we get, how do we have vetted experts in certain fields come in and give good information to active women? Right. And so for you, you know, you're saying you're trying to help close the gender gap in sports science research, which is a massive part of this. Like, what does that mean? Like how big is the gender gap? And like specifically, what does that mean? It's closing, which is a good thing, but I think we still have a lot of work to go. There's various studies out there that look at what are the actual statistics in terms of how large the gender gap is. And it varies depending upon fields. So exercise physiology tends to be a little bit larger. And then there's you know, sports medicine, sports science. Um, but I've, we've seen stats as low anywhere from like three to 12% in terms of female representation in these studies. But I think we're rapidly working to close that, which is exciting because the challenge is, you know, if, if females aren't being included in these research studies and we're using the overall principles from the studies to apply to female athlete training, it just is not generalizable. Like there's no way that can actually apply to female athletes in many of these specific domains. And so it's exciting. And I think a big part of that too is mentorship. So we started this podcast by saying, I'm just so lucky to have Emily as a mentor in my life. And I think we've had a ton of outreach to faster of people interested in doing the research. And I think the more that we can have strong mentors and continue building teams doing this research, I think the gap will close more and more too, because certainly there's a number of researchers out there who are hungry to do this. And so it's about building the teams. It's about providing that mentorship. And it's about, you know, creating that culture where women are supporting other women in this process of doing the research and uplifting everyone along the way. Yeah. And when we're talking about closing the gap or having studies specifically done on women, does that mean we need to focus, have all women in the studies or focus on specific areas of female physiology? Like what are some of those areas? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I feel like, I think it's a combination. I think we need to do some female specific studies really. Um, there's been a couple of articles out this last year about the methodology and just how to design a high quality female athlete study, whether it's um, menstrual cycle with menstrual cycle tracking, how that's being recorded, whether it's um, factoring in different types of um, hormonal replacement um, and just making sure that we're factoring in all of, like the, the unique hormonal profiles of these athletes. So um, we can, can use that to um, help guide good recommendations um, with training 
injury risk reduction, fueling. But I also think just comparing males and females and how they respond to, to training and fueling. Um, I think there's a lot of value that you can get from comparing um, different 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 training strategies. And I think we can learn something from all these male athlete studies. And but I, I think that's a starting point. And we need to make sure that we're increasing that number of females. And I think um, even with our health, healthy runner project or PAC 12 study, uh, where we have males and females in this study. And I think that, that it's just nice to be able to compare those, those two groups um, as part of it. And Megan, please feel free to add in. I feel like the, the research lead <laughs> always has great insight. No, that was fantastic. And I think there's, I, for so long, I got frustrated um, reading exercise physiology studies that would be 16 men and two women. And, you know, they are including women, but those numbers just don't account for any sort of power to look at anything female athlete related. And so Emily, you did such a good job of summarizing that, you know, we need, we need more studies that like, you know, are both in men and women, and then also female specific studies too, on topics like the menstrual cycle. So that was perfect. Yeah. I, when I was doing my PhD, so I was doing a PhD, I was studying like feminist methodology on, and looking at history in that way. Right. So I'm just saying that to give a context to what I'm about to say next is about how dumb I am. Um, which is like, I, some of my, I was studying with, or training with a national team in Scotland and and as a, as a triathlete. And some of my, the guys that I trained with had signed up for this study and they were looking for runners that ran a certain speed. And I went to sign up for the study and they had put like a number on it. I forget how fast you had to run a 10 K, but like my guesses look like in retrospect, they probably weren't expecting any women to put up their hand and, and go into the study. And then when I did, I was told that my, um, menstrual cycle, like that my hormone cycle was going to get in the way of the study and I couldn't be part of it. And it didn't even occur to me, like it didn't occur to me to go, Oh, what that's dumb. Then how do we know what, whether it applies to your study applies to women that no, instead I was like, Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Like, duh. Right. Like I sort of internalized this notion of being excluded and and experienced it as normal. So, um, yeah, I feel like we've (laughs) we've come a long way. I don't know where my question is in there, but, um, I thought that was like, do you still, I guess, here's a question. Do you still fight kind of against some of those old, that old school thinking? Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I think that's still, still present, which is shocking and whether it's through research, whether it's through, um, in the workplace and it's like this, Oh, you can't be, I, when I was um, in, in high school, I thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I'm a non-surgical sports medicine physician um, in physiatry or physical medicine and rehab. But at that point I was like tunnel vision orthopedics. And I remember um, someone, multiple people being like, oh, you're not strong enough to be an orthopedic surgeon. You can't um, lift the tools. And there's some really heavy legs that need to be um, maneuvered as part of the, part of the surgery. And I was like, are you kidding me? And, and also somebody, I think, I mean, similar conversations like that throughout as far as, and it's, it's delivered so subtly that you don't, it doesn't even phase you um, or it didn't really phase me at the time, but like there was a rub that I kept noticing. And for, for me, like I got more fired up through, through those um, comments, but I don't know. I still, I see it a lot and I'm sure uh, Megan, you probably hear or see it um, 
as well. <laughs> yeah, I had a very similar experience. Actually, I went to an exercise physiology journal club. It's not what I'm studying, but I was kind of curious about what trajectory I wanted to go for my PhD program. And I actually asked the question, I was like, where are all the women in this study? And they looked at me as if I had never been to a journal club in exercise physiology before, which I hadn't. This is my first one. But you know, they were like, oh, well, the menstrual cycle is a confounding variable, um, which makes sense to some extent. But I think the challenge is like we all many, many, many women in sport have a menstrual cycle or are on hormonal contraceptives or are on, or have IUDs that it's, it can't be a confounding variable. If so many athletes are experiencing this, that we actually have to include, it needs to be a key part of conversations and a part of research studies themselves. And so I think we're really heading in that direction more, but I think also too, what we're working on is like the menstrual cycle is actually really beautiful when you dive into it. Like what's actually happening in the body is a unique, a unique and cool thing. And I think if we step away from it as this like powerful process, as opposed to a confounding variable too, it also is empowering in a way that I think is that athletes can get behind. And I think that research can get behind too. Yeah. I love that. I love like that, ch- that changing and reframing instead of a confounding variable, it's like actually a positive, beautiful thing. Like the, the world in so many ways works in cycles, like our seasons work in cycles, plants growth, like everything, you know, a cycle is, can be such a great magical thing. Okay. So what, what is the research that is being done right now? What are, what are you two focusing on with faster? So I mentioned the faster pilot study. So that's, um, we're testing the, like the feasibility and we're testing some measures with our, our videos. I think, um, we really wanted to emphasize that it's not just translation that we want to do. We want to test the translation and make sure that's the effective method. And another nice part of this is we will get feedback and we have these focus groups that are giving us feedback on the videos to make sure that we're on the right track. And so we're constantly checking ourselves to make sure that we may think something looks cool or super interesting because we're just totally in, in the topic and in the, um, that world. But we also want to make sure that it's, um, it's relevant and not too, inter- too um, scientifically dense or just too simplified. And, and so that's, um, that's one of our studies that will hopefully be, um, we're recruiting right now. We're hoping to launch and be almost done with our analysis by, by the summer. So hopefully we'll have some preliminary um, data at that point. We also too have a PAC-12 study, which is really cool. So we did a seven-year prospective study at Stanford and UCLA working to prevent bone stress injuries through nutrition education. So trying to have athletes um, reduce the the prevalence of of low energy availability. And we actually got that funded and extended to roll out to the um, entire PAC-12, which is exciting. So we're in the process right now of recruiting schools, recruiting athletes to roll out this nutrition education intervention. Um, So that's been something that's interesting. And then we also work to, we we kind of try to uh, span the age range. So we have high school athletes, we have collegiate athletes. We're working with post-collegiate athletes as well at Western States Endurance Run. So we've done some studies looking at the female athlete triad and the male athlete triad as well there. So it's been interesting to have this like age range span in our research. And that's a gift too. Yeah. Age range. Go ahead. And then we have one other study that we're just getting off the ground, um, the female athlete voice project. And we are looking to um, try to set the agenda for these research and uh, science topics. And so we want to ask um, top level, um, ideally Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Um, I want to keep it a little bit more broad because it, it hasn't fully got, gotten IRB approved yet, but we're in the late stages of that and it's, it's um, on its way. But we want to 
ask their opinion about what science topics do they feel would be important for their health and performance and do they want us to study. So it's not just uh, scientists creating the research agenda, maybe by their own um, bias and what they're exposed to. Um, we really want to make sure that our research agenda is, is, is addressing the concerns and the wishes of um, top, top level athletes who have gone through it and experienced some of these challenges, whether it's um, coming back to a sport um, post postpartum and after pregnancy mm-hmm. or, or training in sport while pregnant. And some of those, those challenges with um, navigating that, that wonderful experience, but um, there's just not a lot of um, solid recommendations out there on, on how to train. And I know um, there has been more media on that and a lot of inspiring athletes who have started to share their story, but we really need the science to kind of help back that and support future um, guidelines. Mm-hmm. To get good information again, to, to sort of create a, you know, we'd say like a reaction or some better information against like the poor information that we get, like even with menopause, right. Cause we have a big feisty menopause brand. Yes. And like when I started, when we started that brand, I suddenly started to get all the ads from menopause on my, on my Instagram feed. I'm like, really, are there that many special weight loss, belly fat, weight loss teas? Like, come on, <laughs> you know? Um, so if we were going to, let's do this. If we were going to shoot for the stars, there was no budget constraints ever. And we were going to do a bunch of studies, um, about, you know, female performance broadly, like what would be some of the topics that you two would go after right away? This is fun. I like this. I feel like you need to come and structure our meetings so we can brainstorm some of these conversations. <laughs> I think for me, so I'm both the researcher and a coach. So I coach a lot of athletes um, in addition to my job as a researcher. And I would love to see us start to link more of these studies to performance, um, which and sometimes requires like taking the next step. So I think sometimes it's athletes don't necessarily prioritize injury prevention until they've had an injury or it's too late. And so how can we start linking these conversations between low energy availability, injury prevention, and long-term performance in the challenges that often require studies that are done prospectively over many years. And so that would be, I think my goal as a researcher is a long-term prospective study that looks at the importance of fueling and treating your body well and seeing how that translates into long-term performance. Yeah. My big dream is to combine all these. So as I guess, more of the clinician, and I love Megan that you have kind of more of the coach, like the performance side. And I think I see these athletes who are coming into my clinic injured. And I think about their risk profile a lot and what potential um, habits or um, what were they, what were they doing within their training that may have led to this injury. And so I love to be able to create a a really um, detailed and accurate um, risk stratification tool that pulls in um, the hormones and the nutrition fueling pulls in genetics, pulls in uh, biomechanics even and how they move and, and their overall strength. And then you can almost like put a, like a score or some type of percentage to, or weight to those different risk factors and, and have an athlete, whether it's, um, improve their fueling or improve their, um, their biomechanics through kind of better, like different coaching or, or strength training, um, to help decrease that risk before they land in my clinic. So a very more kind of a preventative screening tool that's um, accurate. And I think the screening tools out there are a good start, but we, it's just so hard to be able to combine all those. And there's so many different confounding factors and, and things we need to, to take into account 
but who knows, maybe five years, 10 years from now, that's something that's could be reasonable. And um, if we have enough researchers out there who are motivated and interested and um, we have enough funds and money, uh, we could, I think it is achievable. Yeah. I'm wondering, okay, if we start to get a bigger body of research, right. And we're translating it down to the average athlete, as, as you say, then what is possible for the future? Like, do you think that we're going to see some kind of quick rise or quicker rise to female performance, even at like the Olympic level, once we start having better information about our physiology? I think to me that that gets down to the idea of having really open conversations. So I think a lot of young athletes and even like parents and coaches sometimes aren't always comfortable having these conversations. And I think the more that we can use research to inform some of these tough conversations, whether that's about injury prevention or fueling or mental health, it can just create this like open and warm and welcoming sport environment where we have female athletes staying in it for the long term. And actually, Emily and I just we, we did a brainstorm session yesterday about why female athletes, in particular runners, are having really strong careers. Um, and some are you know crashing podiums at major races into their late 30s. And I think we'll see that phenomenon more and more, the more research that we have trickling down and supporting athletes at all levels. Yeah, I agree, Megan. I think. Um, you summarize that nicely as far as I think more women will stay in sport and I think they may even explore more sports because of just the acceptance and the environment that we're creating that, Hey, you can be, you can be in your late thirties and in your forties and start to run or ride your bike or swim or, or do some other activity. And um, I think we just really want to keep breaking down these barriers and these, these almost these like fake barriers that are out there mm-hmm. and, and empower these, these women. And I think um, the, the whole kind of feisty media approach is, is a great way because sometimes you do have to, to get feisty and even within yourself to, to get a breakthrough on maybe some of those mental barriers and blocks. Yeah, for sure. And what I'm hearing too is, is you're saying like, if, if we get a bigger pool of athletes and girls who are staying in sport, right? Invariably, we're going to have like, obviously healthier people in our culture overall, but also more athletes going to that next level or more who could do collegiate sports at a higher level or, or even beyond. Right. I think the thing too, is, is once you have an established that larger pool of athletes competing statistically, like a young athlete is going to see themselves represented in sport in a role model. And I think that's still a challenge that we have in sport today is like from a diversity perspective, from all different types of perspectives, like having role models. And if we, if we continue this research and continue this process, I think that will grow even more. And it's almost like a feedback loop where, you know, once you have and can establish those strong role models in sport, young athletes might be staying in sport longer because there is that trajectory that they see ahead of them, that someone has done this before that is like them, that looks like them, that, you know, is from a similar place as them, that does a similar sport to them. And I think that's just a unique part of this process too. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow. 
Shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, 
and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, a lot of sports are designed almost in a way to show off, if you will, like male strength or speed, you know, um, and I, I kind of found that disheartening when I was younger too, like that I couldn't win outright, <laughs> like give me something I could win at, you know, so, so what are the things that the ways that you think that like women will have, have an advantage in our physiology? Ooh, this is good. And it kind of goes back to our brainstorm yesterday, as far as um, some of the, some of the studies out there kind of more on like muscle fatigue ability and how women fatigue out less um, or less quickly than, than, than men. And I also think that there um, is something to be said about kind of the, the mental and psychological component and the, the grittiness uh, in, in sport and how maybe there is some, some resilience um, for an athlete or female athletes to kind of keep, keep pushing and keep charging. But I also think the knowledge gained from research or from nutrition and how women can fuel better to really build out their bone health, really kind of set this foundation that does almost protect them from, from injuries moving forward in their younger years, in their high school years. And I think we hear this all the time. I wish I knew this information when I was in high school. I wish that I knew this information when I was in college. So I'm hoping that that information now that's being kind of planted in those younger years will allow that um, plant to grow and blossom and throughout those, those decades moving forward. I think one really interesting thing related to that point too, is there's been recently a number of studies looking at marathon performance in finding that across a wide number of studies, including studies with 2 million participants, that women tend to pace better in marathons. Um, so they have more even split marathons. And I think it's interesting when you extend that concept into like sport pacing and life pacing. And like, I, sometimes I think anecdotally as a coach, I see that similar in like women's careers where they're really like providing this nice cadence and how they're approaching racing and training very similar to like the even split of a marathon. And I think something that's something too, that like female athletes can arm themselves with is like that psychological power and that resilience and that grit, but also the like intelligence to be able to, to pace so well in, in racing and in life too. 
Yeah. That's a funny thing because often in CrossFit, people tell me that I pace myself well for even for like a 15 minute workout, but I don't, I couldn't even name that what that is. Like I don't start the workout and go, Ooh, take it easy at the beginning. I literally like can't do anything else. (laughs) You know, there's something, there might be something in our brains, you know, that are, um, what do you call it? The, like the voice that tells us that, that helps us moderate. I wonder if that's with pregnancy too. You think about labor and the the duration of different degree or different um, different delivery processes with with athletes and, and, and with women, and you kind of have to like play the long game with 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 labor <laughs> and and delivering that baby. And it could be a couple of hours, it could be twenty four hours, and maybe that is something that's just ingrained in our body can just continue to calibrate and go smoothly from hour to hour, whether it's a 15 minute CrossFit or a, a marathon or an ultra. Mm, I love that calibrate. That's that's the word I was looking for. I love that. Next time I'm out running, I'm going to be like, I'm calibrating right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Exactly. I'm like, I was thinking like, I'm going to use life pacing a lot. Like I'm, I'm life pacing right now. <laughs> Don't. It's like slow down, everybody. We're life facing. I'm not going to take I'm, that meeting. I'm life facing. <laughs> I'm just going to chill at this aid station and <laughs> rehydrate right now in life. That's that's the exact life phase I'm in right now. Yes, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Okay, so speaking of which, um, you're pacing for faster. Uh, where and you've sort of answered some of this uh, already, but in say five years, ten years down the road, where do you hope the program will be? Emily, as director, I'm going to defer that to you, but I'm also happy to chime in too. She's our fearless leader. So I'll give you the five to 10 year direction. (laughs) This is really good practice, Sarah, for like brainstorming. And I think um, I could not have anticipated the the response that we got from just our like launching our website and launching our Instagram. And it just gave me a lot of excitement and motivation to keep pushing forward with some of these other ideas. And recently I talked to Megan and I was like, Megan, let's just plan out like a faster 2.0, 3.0 to 6.0. And, and she came back and really in alignment with a lot of the the work that um, I really see ourselves going um, towards. And right now we're um, our faster pilot study. I'm not sure if I mentioned is targeting um, high school athletes and female high school runners, but we're really hoping to target um, female athletes of all ages. And we also want to focus on coaches so um, we really, I think the, the translation needs to go to the coaches and to these other topics that we just need to do more research on. So we need to get the research on um, training and pregnancy and um, postpartum return to sport and menopausal, um, like the menopausal athlete, and then be able to provide that information in a way and deliver it in a way that's um, really, really digestible and easy to understand and easy to apply. So I see ourselves um, expanding our our age range and even um, really getting into the coaches um, perspective too. I also see us expanding our team too. So right now we're like strategically thinking about team members that we can take on. And I think to me, that's exciting because anyone, I think anyone that can train in this and in this field, it's like providing those resources for them to then go out and do their own research down the road too. And to me, that makes me really excited about Faster's impacts and kind of like building this faster network of people doing female athlete research. And so that team building element, I remember doing the faster planning and team building was in like each like faster 2.0 to 6.0. And I get excited every time we add team members. So I think that's a big part of it too. 
Well, yeah, that's a big thing for us too at Feisty. Like you're building your internal team, which can like change the size of your external impact, right? Um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that your launch was so well-received and that people have been responding really positively. Like we work a lot with Dr. Stacey Sims and from, you know, from four years ago where we kind of realized very quickly that there were a lot of people out there having this like reaction to like knowing there's something kind of wrong like in the way that they're training or there's just like something slightly amiss. And then when people start speaking into that space, it's like just resonates so much. So like, I see, I think that we're kind of just at the beginning and I'm so excited for, you know, your organization, everything that it can do in the future. Yeah, we're excited. We love, we love Stacy. Um, I think she's going to be in California at the end of the month. So I'm hoping to connect with her and just hear how, how she's been doing. I did want to give a shout out though, to uh, speaking of team, to our research coordinators who really crushed the, our website development and they're our social media strategists right now, and also helping with our, um, our research and um, Abby and Ellie are, are phenomenal. And they've, and they've only been working with us for less than a year, but they picked up quickly and I love our Slack channel. They, we, we have some great, great exchanges and it just keeps it fun and also keeps it very efficient. Um, so I was new to, new to Slack. So this is a, this is a game changer for me just, um, from communication standpoint, especially when, um, Megan and Ellie are working, um, from afar. We have research studies in there and then it will be a GIF and then research studies and then an emoji. And it's really cool just to see how the Slack evolves over time. And I think that's the general, it's just like the general feel of our team. And I, I love it so much. <laughs> have you, have you figured out how you can make your own emojis yet in there? No. Oh my gosh. It's no. amazing. So this Celine Yeager, I have to give her credit to that for this because she, like she worked with a big company on their Slack channel. And so she knew how to create emoji so we have a little like flashing feisty and she brought over some from the other like once you design them you can bring them over so from her other companies like dancing bananas and stuff it's that's like these are the details that really <laughs> really take yeah. slack to the next level right it just it kind of adds that extra flair like yeah. there's just like <laughs> there's like groovy cat that got posted and this like like spinning dinosaur and i'm like oh my gosh yes. this is <laughs> so <much> exactly <laughs> Well, it's like everything is a celebration too, in some sense. Mm -hmm. Like I think sometimes long as you're doing research, we call our like little different, like research anxieties, whether that's recruiting anxiety, but it's like, you know, you, you, you have, you know, research subjects consent, or you have schools sign on and it's like emoji time. This is great. And it's almost like having these like little wins in what feels like sometimes a long and arduous research process. And so mm -hmm. Slack is definitely a, a celebration channel too. I love that. Okay. Where can our listeners find faster? How can we follow along? Yeah. So our website is faster.stanford.edu. And I think our, I'm just double, I always have to double check on our, um, our Instagram is Stanford faster. I believe. Is that right? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can look it up and put it in the show notes too. So Great. no yeah. problem. People and we share them. just all kinds of like educational content quotes. We have a lot of our role models. Um, we have, we share their quotes um, from the video series that we're putting together. And so kind of fun mashup of a lot of different things on there. Cool. And, and how do we find Friday. each of them? A fuel up Friday. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. Like nutrition tips. Yeah. Nutrition tips. Um, last, last Friday, we showcased um, Lentine and Kate's, um, bomb nachos, which were, I, I still like, 
they look so delicious. And of course, nachos, you can do anything to and kind of add your own creations, but um, it's like next level. <laughs> Sounds next level. I, I actually am hungry right now. <laughs> can you <laughs> use some bomb nachos? Yes. <laughs> okay. And how do we find and follow each of you? Um, I'm Meg's Meg runs happy on Instagram. Um, and I believe on Twitter though, I need to use Twitter a little more than I do now. Um, and Megan Roach, we actually have a faster Strava club too. So you can follow us and join us on faster. And then I'm Megan Roach on Strava. Yep. Um, Emily Krauss MD for, I think both. Yeah. Instagram and Twitter. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you both so much for coming on. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank, thank you. you. This As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. 
AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%.